Hello and welcome to the Matanzerus Podcast, a baseball podcast. I'm Ryan Medeiros here alongside Max Tanzer, and today we're going to be talking about all the latest free agent moves and trades going on across the league. Max, we were talking about last week how the hot stove has been rather cold thus far, but it's heating up here as we're moving through December, and we kicked off the week with a Reds trade of Rizel Iglesias to the Angels for Noe Ramirez and a player to be named later. There was also some cash included in that trade heading over to the Angels to help alleviate some of the concerns about that Iglesias contract and the Angels get the closer that they've been waiting for for a long time. They really haven't had a solid closer since, well, maybe Houston Street you could consider. But Max, can you speak a little bit on the importance of this trade for the Angels? I like this move a lot and I think pitching depth in general has been a weakness for the Angels in the last five, six years or so. And adding Rysel Iglesias to this bullpen is a staple at the back end. 2.74 ERA in 23 innings last year. Even go back to the previous three years before then. A 4.16 in 2019, but still was able to save 34 games. 30 saves the year before that with a 2.38. He's been very good, very consistent. Uh, he's going to be the highlight at the back end of that pen. And then you add on Mike Myers, who was very encouraging this past season as well for this Angels ball club. It's a really good sign, and I think Manassian is trying to fill in the gaps here and take advantage of what I don't want to say is a weak AL West, but definitely an American League West that's trending down with some question marks like the A's, like the Astros we've discussed, the Rangers probably taking a step back as well. So he's jumping on it right here, and this is a great move for them. Yeah, absolutely, and Iglesias struggled at times last year. He had a couple blown saves. But last year for the Reds in 2020, he had eight saves with a 2.74 ERA and 31 strikeouts in 23 innings pitch. He's a proven guy in the past three seasons before that. He had 28 saves, 30 saves, and 34 saves in consecutive seasons there. So he's a guy who knows how to get it done at the back end of the pen. And the Angels really, like I said, haven't had a guy like that in a while. So that should help the back end of their pen quite a bit. Speaking of helping out pitching rotations, we had another big trade and a huge one, the first really big move, you could say, of the offseason. That was the White Sox acquiring Lance Lynn. Dane Dunning, also part of that trade. Max, who do you think won this trade, if anyone at all? Well, I think time will tell for sure. But currently right now, obviously, the favor or the favorite is the Chicago White Sox. And this really bolsters their rotation. I mean, taking a look at what it could look like next year, you got Giolito, Lynn, Keuchel, Cease, Kopech coming back. This is this could be one of the best rotations in Major League Baseball, at least top tier. And then you add on to the fact that, with, or you add on their offensive prowess, it's a really threatening team. And I don't want to jump on the gun too early here and say the White Sox are favorites to win the AL, but they're up there for sure for consideration. If they and they've been one of the most aggressive teams. The way they've um, built their ball club right now. They've just had a couple of holes, right field, an extra pitcher, maybe some bullpen help as well, which they'll probably attend to in the next couple weeks. And that's exactly what they're doing. I'm, ex- I'm excited for this. Lynn has put up tremendous seasons the past two years, a 3.57 ERA combined in 19 and 20 over just under 300 innings, 335 strikeouts in that span with a FIP of 3.43 as well. Uh, and continue to make jumps, a top five or top six Cy Young Award finalist the last two years. His curveball spin rate was a huge jump from 19 to 20. I was looking at it, Ryan, 30th percentile in 19 up to 65th percentile in 2020. So He's a really good pitcher. I'd imagine he'd slide in right underneath Lucas Giolito and really fills out that rotation. Yeah, and a fascinating thing about that curveball spin rate we were talking about, I remember we talked about this uh, not on the show, but just you and I 
earlier this summer and a fascinating thing we were talking about is how good that curveball is yet he didn't use it a whole lot he's primarily a fastball pitcher but that's another top uh, topic for another day uh lynn like you said has been exceptional over the past two seasons he finished in the top six in the cy young voting in the american league these past two seasons he had 84 innings pitched this past season in a shortened season and that's a remarkable number considering everything that was going on all the injuries pitchers were having 208 and a third innings the year before in 2019 so he's a proven workhorse and at at his worst for the White Sox I think he's just going to eat up a ton of innings and just be a pretty consistent solid guy at his best he can be a number two potentially ace type pitcher but like I said at his worst he's still going to throw you some quality innings and get the job done most of the time a guy I want to talk about also in this trade and I kind of set you up when I asked you know, did either team win this trade? Because to me, it's a pretty even trade. The Rangers getting back Dane Dunning, who was once a highly touted pitching prospect. He's now the uh, Rangers number three prospect, number 98 prospect in Major League Baseball. Pretty solid numbers this last season. Just under four, he had a 3.98 ERA in seven games started. 35 strikeouts and 34 innings pitched with a 1.12 whip. So for in, for his first taste of major league experience that's pretty good numbers there i want i'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts on maybe dunning's projectability moving forward no doubt and i think for the rangers right here again as we talked about trying to um, i don't want to know i don't know if they're quite rebuilding right here but they're definitely trying to take a step back and dunning who's 25 years old will have four more years of control is that type of guy that i think could lead this pitching staff as it goes towards the future right here you mentioned the really good numbers he put up last year i'd imagine he's going to benefit from what's a pitcher's ballpark in arlington too um, it, it's a good move for them. And, you know, we talked about, I know you brought this up to me, and we could discuss this a little bit more, on why the Rangers didn't trade Lance Lynn at the trade deadline last year. And there was a lot of criticism for that, but it was because Lance Lynn had gone out and told them that if he was traded to a team he didn't want to go to, he was going to opt out of the season with the COVID uh, restraints and so forth, and basically created a no-trade clause for himself. Um, so the Rangers held back, waited till this offseason, and still got a really good pitcher in Dane Dunning that they'll have for three, four years to come here. So this is a good move for them. Yeah, I love that you stole that little fact from me. <laughs> I, I sent that to Max earlier this week that uh, I'd been confused. And we had been talking about how we couldn't believe that the Rangers didn't trade him, but it was the fact of that somewhat no trade clause that he would have opted out, kind of or something really unusual that you wouldn't think of because the circumstances of this past season were so strange. But uh, to add on to this deal, Avery Weems is also heading to the Rangers, another pitching prospect who hasn't got his first taste of Major League experience yet. But uh, that wraps up that trade. Moving forward, another interesting signing here. Matt Whistler signed with the Giants for $1.15 million for a year. Uh, he should help bolster their bullpen a little bit. A lot of people don't really recognize that name, and you might think it might not be someone really worth talking about, but... He was excellent for the Twins in 2020. In 25 and a third innings pitch, he had a 1.07 ERA, uh, 18 games. Four of those games were games started. He was used primarily as an opener when he started those games. But uh, yeah, he was fantastic. And Max has some stat cast numbers that actually back up his performance. No, yeah. I mean, he was unbelievable. If you go look at his uh, StatCast page, there's a ton of red. And I, I think what this says here is it shows that there's some encouragement. There's some trust. You should have some trust in him to be able to keep this going because I think the biggest question with this 60-game season is what can you trust and what you can't? What is sustainable? Obviously, he only threw 25 and a third of an innings pitched, but put up a 107 ERA. And because the stat StatCast metrics support that, there is reason to believe that he can continue this going forward here. 
And you gotta wonder why the tra- the Twins non tendered him because you know they're losing a guy like Trevor May. You gotta imagine they're still trying to compete. My only thought is that maybe they thought that he was gonna get paid a lot more in arbitration than they wanted to, and they non tendered him. The Giants get him for a good price and get a good pitcher that I think again is low risk, high reward. You know, you're not paying him too much, but he put up fantastic numbers last season, and best case, he can be a back into the bullpen type guy for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the arbitration thing had a big factor in this in that he was due to receive a pretty high pay raise. And that was due to in, in, in part of the fact that he was so excellent this season. I think just the lack of a track record for him probably factored into no that. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. And I, he was owed or he was paid $725,000 last year. So you got to imagine he would be getting somewhere at least towards four ish, $5 million in arbitration with the numbers he put up. And maybe the twins didn't want to pay him that. That is very likely the case. And you know, it is what it is. And now he's with the giants for, I think, I don't know this off the top of my head, but I think it was something around two or $3 million. So it wasn't even that expensive anyway. Uh, but no good move for the giants in this case. Absolutely. And on that same day, we had another big free agent signing, and that was the Royals signing Carlos Santana to a two-year, $17.5 million deal. Santana had uh, a little bit of a rough season season in 2020, to put it lightly. He had a 199 batting average, but he ended up with a 349 on base. And you might be wondering, well, how can you have that low of a batting average with that high of an on base? And it was the fact that he led the league with 40 seven walks. He's a proven on-base guy, can be a really solid contributor on the offensive side of the ball. And in 2019, in his first All-Star season, he had a 9-11 OPS with 34 home runs and 108 walks. So again, he just gets on base consistently and should be a pretty decent contributor to a Royals lineup. No doubt. And I think you have to look at the track record in this case. 2016 to 19 in 631 games, 115 homers and OPS of 841. Good for a 119 OPS plus. So he's always been super dependable, super good. And I actually was reading a tweet from Sarah Langs the other day. She was talking about the largest differences in 2020 between their actual batting average and expected batting average. And Satana was right at the top. Hit 199, as Ryan mentioned. His expected batting average was 253. So a difference of .054 points, the greatest difference for a hitter in Major League Baseball this year. So he got unlucky, and he still got on base a lot, obviously the 349 on base percentage. So there's reason to think that he could pick it back up next year. And he's making a lot of money. Two years, $17.5 million. That's a lot of money. And I I think the Royals trust him to pick it back up in 2021. Absolutely. And like you said, there's no reason to believe that he can't. He's only a year removed from being an all-star, receiving MVP votes, and getting a silver slugger. So this is a guy who, like you said, has, has consistently improved throughout his career. And last year, the highest OPS plus of his career, he had a ton of career number, career bests in 2019. He just seemed to dip a little bit. He was probably, uh, you know, someone who was affected by the shortened season and everything that was going on. So I wouldn't take too much stock into this year's numbers besides the walks and the proclivity for getting on base, which he's done an excellent job of these past few seasons. Moving on now, we'll talk about another guy who's a proclivity to getting on base, and that is Adam Eaton, who recently signed with the White Sox. Uh, Eaton's an interesting guy. The White Sox traded him away for a huge haul a few years ago, including Dane Dunning. They got the big piece in that trade, which was Lucas Giolito. And you might have considered, oh, the White Sox clearly won this trade, but the Nationals won the World Series with Eaton, so it's kind of a win-win situation there. Eaton's first year will be $7 million dollars. And he has an eight and a half million club option for the 2022 season. 
So this is an interesting deal. He fills a hole in the White Sox outfield. They really needed a left-handed bat in their lineup. It's not Michael Brantley, but he should be a decent improvement off of Nomar Mazzara. No doubt, and I, I think the clubhouse presence is big. Both of them are familiar with each other, as of course Eaton was a White Sox, as you mentioned. I don't think they're getting 2014, 2015 Adam Eaton by any means, but they're going to get a nice role player that they could put either at the top or the bottom of their lineup that, again, fills in the gap of right field. I mean, you bring in Nomar Mazzara last year and expect him to be a power guy. Hits one home run, struggles mightily. Adam Eaton, again, had a, what, a 668 OPS last season. I don't expect him to be spectacular, but... The rest of the White Sox lineup will make up for that, and I think his clubhouse presence and being a pretty good defender and having a good track record with that will definitely be very beneficial for this White Sox outfield. Yeah, and again, it's looking at the seasons before this last season. I'm not sure a lot of teams are taking a ton of stock in guys' numbers from the 2020 season. Like you said, Eaton struggled to a 226 batting average, a 285 on base, and a 384 slugging, which obviously is not very good numbers at all. But prior to that, he's always been a consistent on-base guy, even with the rough numbers last season. His career on base is still 360. He knows how to take walks. He always battles up there. He gives you good at bats. And that's going to be important in a White Sox lineup that has a lot of free swingers like Tim Anderson, Eloy Jimenez, even Jose Abreu at times. Yeah, and six straight seasons before 2020 in which he had an OPS plus above 100. And then before 2019, five straight seasons of an OPS plus above 114. So good, good seasons for him over there in Washington and with the White Sox as well back in 14 and 15. So yeah, this is a good move for them for sure. Yeah, and you talked about Eaton's defense. He's always been a pretty good defender. Uh, There was a time in his career when he was one of the best defensive corner outfielders in baseball. He's still rated in the 86th percentile in outfielder jump, so he's a guy who knows how to get the balls in the outfield. Yeah, he ranked in the 20th percentile in outs above average, so he struggled a bit defensively last year, but I think we'll see him more towards kind of the average side in terms of defense in a full season. Yeah, and if you go back to 2019, too, 62nd percentile in outs above average, 70, uh, 70% in outfielder jumps. So it's just a question here. And he is getting older, and that's something to consider in this case. I mean, I remember back, you know, four or five years ago, he was one of the best outfielders defensively in terms of arm strength and assists as well. So he has the capabilities. It's just a question on if he could pick it back up next year. And I think you have to be confident that he will be. Yeah, absolutely. And another interesting signing your Mariners, Max, signed Chris Flexen. He spent the past few seasons overseas in Korea. They signed him to a two-year, $4.75 million deal with an option for 2023. You would have to assume that this would be kind of one of those pitching depth moves, although he was excellent in 116 and two-thirds innings in Korea. He had a 3.01 ERA, and he struck out more than four times as many hitters that he walked. He had 132 strikeouts and only walked 30. So uh, you have to be pleased with that, Max. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on your Mariners signing Flexen. I love it, and I think this is going to be a prime example of a player who struggled at the big, big level, went to a foreign country to work on some things, blossomed, and comes back and puts up some really good numbers. I mean, Miles Mikolas jumps off the top of my head to start off, and again, as you mentioned, the strikeout rate was through the charts, and the walk rate was way down for him uh, back in Doosan last season, so that's something to be very encouraged about. Uh, They really like his breaking ball as well, and it's going to be interesting to see if they use him as a starter or a reliever, because he could do both. I'd imagine he's going to open up the season as a reliever. John Heyman 
brought up a really good point, actually, uh, right when the signing came through, is that Flexen threw 116 innings in Doosan last season. And obviously, talking about Lance Lynn threw 84, and that led the league. So no pitcher thrown over 100 innings last season. And then you add on to the fact that this is a very young, inexperienced Mariners pitching staff, in which most of these players haven't even been on the roster for an entire season. So Flexen's going to be able to fill in some of those gaps, be able to eat innings too, and keep these guys rested. Because you can't expect a guy like Justin Dunn, who's probably thrown a combined 90 innings in his major league career to go out next season and throw 150, 160 innings if he even gets a rotational spot. And that's where Chris Flexen will play a big role. And I also think he could put up some really good numbers at the big league level uh, next year as well, as reflected by his numbers in Doosan. So it's a win-win situation for them. Adds some depth, adds a backbone to the pitching staff, but also could be a guy that could blossom into a key player for years to come. Absolutely. You mentioned Flexen straddles a bit big league level and back in 2019 he was in the big leagues with the Mets from 2017 to 2019 is a career 8.07 ERA so while that number doesn't look great you'd have to hope that after getting some success overseas in Korea you you mentioned he pitched more innings than any pitcher in Major League Baseball and which is going to be helpful to him next year they're not gonna have to worry about building him up as much as they will their other pitchers but it'll be interesting to see if Flexen can provide them with some flexibility moving forward there we go. I like it. I like it. And that's exactly what it that's exactly what he will do. Flexibility for them, give them more options and help them ease in these young starting pitchers as they hopefully get to play in their first full season. Absolutely. Staying in the AL West, a Rangers deal. The Rangers made their first of two deals this week. They acquired Nate Lowe from the Rays in a six-player deal that included three prospects going to Tampa Bay. The biggest of which is Hiroberto Hernandez, who is a power-hitting catcher, also played some outfield in, in, in low A ball. He doesn't have a ton of experience yet at the higher levels of the minor leagues, but interesting prospect for the Rays there. Lowe isn't going to have to worry about being confused with Lau anymore, Brandon <laughs> Lau of the Tampa Bay Rays, both guys on the right side of the infield. But an interesting thing is uh, for the Rays is that, you know, Lau actually batted, or uh, low, excuse me. I, uh, I'm it's hard. happy about this trade because, you know, it, it does get confusing with the two of those guys. But low actually batted fourth at points this past season for the Rays, who eventually made it to the World Series. Lowe actually didn't end up on their postseason roster. But you'd have to hope, if you're the Rangers, that he's going to provide a boost from the left side of the plate, potentially uh, if he wins a competition with uh, Ronald Guzman at first base. No doubt. And I think obviously it's only been 71 games in his career, but he's put together a career 770 OPS in that time, left the yard 11 times as well. And I think this will give him an opportunity to play every day. He's not going to be hurt by the platoon and the metrics that are trying to put him in specific situations. While I think the Rangers, like many other Major League Baseball teams, will still be high analytics, I think Nate Lowe will get a different opportunity here to play You know, more than 20 games like he did last year or 50 games like he did in 2019 and that's something for him to benefit on to also low pressure with a Rangers team that doesn't have high expectations this is this is a great opportunity for him obviously it's tough to see yourself get traded from the Amer- defending American League champions but at the same time like you said I think he was only on the wild card roster and then was not in the division series championship series or world series rosters so now he's going to get an opportunity to play and compete for a spot and I think that's super valuable for him even if it's to a team that's struggling like the Rangers. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about his career stats, and he's done a pretty decent job in his career. 107 OPS+, which isn't fantastic, but it's above average and a limited sample size. 
This is a guy who showed some pretty decent power. He hit 27 home runs over three different minor league levels a few years ago. So um, it'll be interesting to see what he can contribute to the Rangers. I think going to that big ballpark in Arlington, the new ballpark they just built, Globe Life Field. Yeah, it's a little bit daunting for especially a young hitter. Uh, We saw really tough numbers from offensive players at that park this past season. But you got to be happy if you're low that you're going to get some playing time. You'd have to assume there's no clear platoon guy on the Rangers that I can think of. It seems like it's pretty much going to be either Low or Guzman starting there. But it'll be interesting to see moving forward. Again, Low is a nice guy at the at the plate. Uh, he's a guy that's definitely, I think, going to benefit from getting some more exposure at the big league level moving forward. Sticking with the Rangers here, another guy that they just recently signed is David Dahl for a one-year, about $3 million deal. The terms haven't been officially announced yet. But this is another guy, another left-handed bat who has shown some success at the big league level. Um, uh, it should be interesting to see where he plays in the outfield moving forward. He's a guy who has experience at all three outfield positions. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Dahl, who's a guy who was injured a lot last year, but has shown some success in previous seasons. Yeah, and you said it, and we talked about it on the non-tenders episode as well. Health, 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 and health. That's the biggest struggle for that, that he's encountered in his major league career. He had a buck 83 last year, only OPS 470, which is obviously not ideal, but it was only in 24 games. If you go to the year before that, was an all-star in 2019. In 100 games at 302, an OPS of 877, 15 homers, and 61 RBIs. If he could play a full season, I would love to see the numbers he would put up. And while, yes, the home run numbers might diminish just a little bit because he's going from college, Colorado down to what they have in Texas. I still think he has that gap-to-gap ability, and that should still create opportunities for extra base hits and run-scoring opportunities for him uh, in the middle of that Rangers lineup. Again, very much like Lowe, an opportunity for him to kind of hit the reset button, get an opportunity to play every day and recreate himself almost. Or not recreate, but bring himself back to you know the performances he put up in 2019. Absolutely. And this is like we said, not taking too much stock in 2020 numbers, but just to mention them here, he struggled mightily. Like about Santana struggling. Dahl was by far worse than Santana. He had a 470 OPS and a 19 OPS plus, which is just absolutely <laughs> abysmal. But I think the injuries uh, contributed a ton to that. So we won't dig him too much. In 2019, he had an all-star season. He had a 110 OPS plus the OPS plus of course is park adjusted so it drops him down a bunch because he's playing in Colorado but an 877 OPS he knocked 15 home runs and 413 plate appearances with 28 doubles and five triples so he had the extra base potential 302 batting average in his career is an 828 OPS this year obviously dragged that down quite a bit although even though it was a limited size 93 at bats this season Uh, it's going to drag down your numbers when you have that poor production at the plate. This season also, he didn't really qualify for many stat cast rankings, but he struggled a lot in the outfield as well. He ranked first percentile in outfielder jump, and that's not a good thing. 99th percentile is good. He was first percentile, so he was one of the worst in the league, if not the worst in terms of outfielder jump. He ranked in 20th percentile and outs above average in the same areas eaten there. In his career, he hasn't been known as a terrible outfielder, so I'm not taking too much stock in that. You would have to assume that potentially a limited sample size and the injuries factored a lot into that. I agree, and I think I say it a lot in this show, but I think it's very important given that we only played 60 games last year. I shouldn't say we. They only played 60 games last year. Only time will tell for David Dow. And like you mentioned, the OPS Plus with the ballpark factors – 
you know, his value may be overlooked or not overlooked, but I don't want to say he's overrated, but definitely influenced by that a little bit. But I still think he has the ability to be a very productive player, a borderline all-star type. So he has an opportunity to take that team by storm and be a leader in that clubhouse and on the field. Absolutely. And another guy who's going to have to take on a big leadership role, potentially the biggest move of this week, and it just was announced today, James McCann is signing with the Mets for four years, $40 million. This is a fascinating deal. I know we both predicted that JT Real Muto would be the catcher behind the plate for the Mets this next season, but they go with McCann, and you'd have to assume that this is because they're looking to spend money in other areas. But this is still a pretty hefty deal to take on for the Mets, t- uh, 10 year. 10 mil per year for four years for a guy who hasn't had too much success at the big league level in his career. He really only broke out in 2019, but he broke out in a big way, in fairness. He had a 108 OPS plus in 2019 and 476 plate appearances that included 18 home runs, 26 doubles, and like I said, that 789 OPS. So for McCann, you'd have to think he had a big season this past season, too. I'll mention those stats briefly before we talk about the significance of this move. He had a 144 OPS+, plus, so a big jump up. You'd have to think that this that supports his 2019 production, and the Mets bought into it, and they clearly believe in McCann as they sign him to a four-year deal here. No doubt, and I mean, what is helping him, and the hype really is based off of, like you said, 19 and 20, where in those two years combined had an 808 OPS, which for a catcher is very, very good, and still an OPS plus good for 114, which is still above average. Um, I It's interesting for me because James McCann is easily the second best catcher on this free agent market. Then you go down to Yadier Molina, who's still good, obviously. But then after that, you drop to guys like Jason Castro, Wilson Ramos, Robinson Chirinos. So I think that influenced it a little bit, a little bit of a weaker market. Also, the Angels jumping in probably pushed uh, the bid up a little bit for Steve Cohen and the Mets. I think they were willing to go a little bit over the top to grab him because let's be realistic here. The difference between $40 million and four years to McCann and something close to $200 million for JT Real Muto is a large difference, and they want to bring in a George Springer, if not also a Trevor Bauer. So I, I like this move for them. I do think it's a little bit too much for what we've seen because it's only based off of 149 games a year and a half. But I think it should work out for them. And he's really improved his defense as well. And this could be a concern or a plus for them. If you look at 2019, he was 69th percentile in framing, negative 15 runs from extra strikes, which was last in Major League Baseball from all catchers. And then in 2020, jumped up to the 88th percentile in framing and had plus two runs from extra strikes, which was sixth in Major League Baseball. So you got to trust that James McCann is going to continue that going into 2021. Yeah, and I think this is a lot of the criticism coming on this deal is not so much about McCann's production. I think some people are skeptical because, like he, like we talked about, he really never had an above-average offensive season in the previous five years. He played uh, in the big leagues in those five years, were with the Tigers. Um, I think this more has to do with the fact that a lot of Mets fans and a lot of fans across Major League Baseball are expecting the Mets to go after Real Muto. They clearly had the money to sign him. And uh, it doesn't seem like any other teams were going to be a big factor for them. The Phillies, obviously, with their money troubles, seemed like they were going to have no shot. Yeah, and I I think 
as you talked about earlier and touched on, I think that they're trying to be smart with this. And I think, honestly, some people are a little bit more concerned with Emilio just because you'd be dedicating so much money to him. And, you know, he's on the other side of 30 right now. So who knows? Again, Real Mito, without a doubt, is the best catcher in this game right now and could be a high-impact player on any team. But I do think this is the safer route, and it's probably a little bit more efficient financially because James McCann is still a really good catcher. He's not JT Real Mito by any means. I'm seeing posts on Twitter that are comparing the two. I think JT Real Mito is on a different level than McCann, but McCann is still very, very good. And while the price might be slightly a little bit more than I think he deserved, it still will be worth it for them in the long run. And look, everyone's talking about his leadership abilities as well. Marcus Stroman went out and praised him in a tweet too. This is this is a good move. The clubhouse will like him. He's a good leader behind the dish, and he's going to get an opportunity to play every day now too as he was really platooning with Grandal last season. So this is this is a good chance for him, and I, I like the move. I do. Absolutely. You have to be happy if you're a Mets fan, despite the fact that they didn't get real Muto. McCann has proven over the past two seasons that he can be a high-level all-star type player. And more sad news this week to kind of wrap up our News on moves across the league. MLB Network recently announced that they weren't going to be renewing Chris Rose's contract. It's very sad news. He spent the past 10 years and had intentional talk, really playing a role in a lot of people's, you know, enjoyment of the game of baseball. I know I personally grew up and became a huge fan of baseball watching intentional talk. I remember coming home from school just being so excited to watch intentional talk. So it is really sad to hear them letting him go, but I think you know, like players and employees across the league, COVID has had a huge impact on a lot of really pretty much every facet across the country. Any business has lost a lot of money. So I think Rose was just kind of, you know, it it came around that his contract was up this year. So it just made it an easy decision for the network, but it really shouldn't have been an easy decision because of the huge factor he's played in, you know, a lot of baseball fans lives for the past 10 years. Yeah, and I think if they could have extended his contract, they absolutely would have because he's a fan favorite, and intentional talk won't be the same. I know they they do fill in a lot of guys a lot, but Kevin Millar and Chris Rose, the chemistry they had on air was like no other, and that's what's going to be the most difficult part about this change right here. And I just think it was bad timing. You kind of touched on it a little, or just a couple seconds ago, but uh, I wonder if I don't. I'm not going to say a specific name, but if broadcaster B had his contract up would they have let him go instead if Rose had two years left and that probably would have been the case I don't think it was anything personal or specific it was probably just due to the fact that they can't afford to extend him and I mean you talked about your childhood too it was the same way for me I remember that was the first show on MLB Network I would consistently watch Uh, my phone had this little podcast app on it and intentional talk would load on every single day I'd watch on the bus ride home and they give you the laughs they bring high energy they're very fun very um they, they also give you good information as well. So it's going to be sad. I don't know how they'll adjust to it. I think they are keeping the show, right? They are. They're, they're keeping the show, and I want everyone listening to this to tune in if you can. They have three shows left. They're going to be fun shows, hour-long specials, December 21st, 22nd, and 23rd, right before the Christmas holiday. So if you can, tune in, and I promise you won't be disappointed. No doubt. And... Oh, it's sad. I know he did some World Series desk, desk stuff back in 2010 when it was Giants-Rangers. I know he did the post-game interviews in 2009 when the Yankees won the World Series, too. He's done a lot of NFL stuff. So the positive thing here is he's going he's gonna to find another job. He's incredibly qualified, one of the best hosts and analysts in sports, in my opinion, right now in the TV business. So he's going to find a spot, and whoever, whoever gets him is going to be incredibly lucky. 
Alrighty, that is going to wrap up our show today. We thank you guys so much for tuning in. We covered a lot. Ryan touched on it earlier. The hot stove is not just hot. The toasters are popping. The oven's heating up. Things are starting to move here as we enter December or the mid-December and go into January. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. New podcasts will drop every Saturday on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. For Ryan Medeiros, I'm Max Tanzer. Thank you for listening to Matanzers. Got him.